same thing in, in in the context of hinging, right? Like you see someone who's a poor hinger, they may be strong, but their mechanics are just poor. You you probably know what it's gonna look, what the rowing is gonna look like. Yeah. And if they just hinged more efficiently, the rowing would improve. Yeah. But they just yeah. either they don't have the the awareness or they don't they don't care. Um, but if you can improve just simple hinging mechanics, there's so many other areas of their of their game that will improve as a result of that. Right? Are we recording? <laughs> Oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Like, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day as long as you had a, a sandwich and a nap. All right, in this episode, we are going to discuss uh, one of um, the next topic in our first, uh, three, yeah, first three-part series of podcasts discussing CrossFit uh, and their methodology. So the first episode was about uh, constantly varied, the topic, and this episode will be about functional movements. So, um, yeah, uh, as we did in the first episode, we try to get a good definition um, I guess we could say a fair definition of what we think, or not what we think, but I guess what, what CrossFit's trying to say with what they think functional movements are and what they're for and what they're not. Um, so what are functional movements? So the first way that CrossFit's going to define functional movements is they're going to include ones um, that move large loads, long distances, quickly. And very simple, like to make simple examples of that is like if you're gonna try to, if you're doing leg work, you're gonna be doing squats, and you're not gonna be doing leg extensions, for the because then it would violate that just that alone would violate that rule. Um, it would also fit into um, having a core to extremity focus. So again, if you go to the back squat, it's a hip leg dominant movement, or you take the snatch, same thing, clean and jerk. Um, basically, the, the energy is generated from the hips and then is expressed outwards. Versus, again, you go back to doing like uh, a leg extension or, um, or like a seated lat pull down, that type of thing. So those, those movements would not fit into the core to extremity um, framework. The next one would be um, that they're generally going to be multi-joint. Uh, again, just think of the back squat versus the leg extension. Uh, and the last one is that it has to adhere to a universal um, motor recruitment pattern. Um, and I actually don't know what that means. I'm not kidding. I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean, what the universal motor recruitment patterns are. Um, I'm, I guess it's referring to like the most common movements humans do. Maybe like squatting, hinging, lunging, yeah. run, running, that type of stuff. Hip, hip extension, hip flexion, things that you would do outside of the gym yeah. would be a universal recruitment pattern because you aren't artificially mm-hmm. moving something I know yeah. but like close chain the extension know, squeezing your fingers that's... together to pick up a rock like you're more likely to do that than do squats yeah but you're picking up your socks <laughs> you're doing a deadlift that was the that's the kind of thing right? I get it doing, I know I get yeah. it but I just don't like those oh yeah I don't like that stuff because like well what what that doesn't what if you're standing and reaching for an apple what's that like that's that, that's what I mean like I don't really understand it but that's the fourth part. Um, 
and some things that are not included in that definition. Or sorry, sorry, some additional things that are included in this that wouldn't that that we didn't mention with the first four. So the they, first they, four they are, violate the the principles in some way. Yeah, right. And that's that's the um, gymnastics holds, like the L sit or even handstand hold, or the Turkish get up, right? Which is a very basically skills and drills, right? Yeah, yeah. Where you're not you're not moving a large load long distance quickly. You're not moving ideally because you're trying to hold a position or uh, even in the movements that you're doing a Turkish get up you can't create a lot of I mean this is going over into the high intensity piece but yeah. you can't create a lot of power output with it yeah. so it's it's it, it kind of goes outside the principles because it, it's movements. not large loads quickly yeah. Yeah. right And I'm not sure if it's a universal motor recruitment pattern. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm not so. sure if that's how you'd pick up anything. But but it is it is valued as a functional movement within yep. within within CrossFit. Again, so they have four the four things being large loads, long distance quickly, core to extremity, uh, universal uh, motor recruitment pattern, and multi joint movements. And basically, you put all four of those together, uh, and you need you want movements to kind of adhere to all four of those principles, or four, four of those yeah, I guess four of those principles. And, uh, and then with the additional points, like Jason mentioned, with um, like some of the movements that would also be included in this, but are not that, but kind of violate them, being the holds, gymnastics, skills, and drills. Uh, the next part is um, to discuss with regards to um, functional movements and how to develop them. And one of the things CrossFit really pushes in their seminars and through their materials is mechanics, consistency, and intensity. Uh, meaning that like you're trying to develop the ability to do stuff um, for example just think of a squat you try to you should be learning how to do air squats first before you're doing weighted squats before you're doing cleans before you're doing snatches that type of stuff and then virtuosity so the idea that um, because you learned how to do an air squat it doesn't mean you should stop doing air squats uh, as you progress along into the more advanced things like snatching cleaning thrusters etc you still want to ensure that you're doing the basics perfectly and you want to make sure you're doing air squats perfectly and adhering to the movement standards that they're asking you to adhere to. Um, because in their idea, and I would agree with that, that it's going to build its way all the way up. If you do an air squat really well, um, it's important to start there. Um, but just don't forget about doing it. So master the basics and do them as well as possible. So, um, yeah, so like with regards to their, um, yeah, with regards to that, with the functional movement idea of CrossFit, there really is a lot that we would agree with, mm -hmm. and and that we would uh, also use in our in our philosophy of training individuals. So, um, like the first, which we just discussed, the mechanics consistency intensity is a is a fantastic way of saying what you're trying to do in developing movement, in um, and basically almost all movements with regards to individuals. Right, you want them to progress safely. Uh, first, you want to assess where they are, and you want to progress them from where they are. To another place and you want to progress them safely and effectively and you could kind of read mechanics consistency intensity as that that's what that is right yeah, to try to their, move someone from the, the the basics to the most advanced yeah it's their definition of progress or progressing someone right yeah, yeah. Um, and then the next part again which we just covered is uh, is virtuosity and again that's something that we would preach here and what we would want our clients to do as well um, just do what, what's the what's the saying glass used to say do the common, common un uncommonly well yeah that's a good saying too yeah. right really catchy sayings 
Um, he's very good at that. Yeah, don't don't paint a dirty car was another one that he liked to say. That one's okay. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm gonna pull all these glassmanisms. But that other one's really good. <laughs> Um, because yeah, it's super, it's, it's very true. And like, I'm sure even you would see it with clients and the most common, my opinion, the most common one I see people doing the basics wrong is a push up, mm-hmm. a very standard push up, um, where people are much more akin to wanting to do handstand pushups, ring dips, ring muscle ups for pressing movements and jerks and overhead stuff. But they can't, they, they don't, they think their push ups look great and they look atrocious, but that's where it goes back to like, no, you need to make sure you're doing the basics really well. Well, it does work in progression because if you see someone who does really good push-ups, the other pressing movements are probably going to look pretty good. Mm-hmm. But then you can see someone who does some gnarly things upside down in a handstand push-up, and you can kind of predict what their normal push-up is going to look mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Like, eh, let's see you do a push-up. Yeah, the same thing. Same thing in in the context of hinging, right? Like, you see someone who's a poor hinger. They may be strong, but their mechanics are just poor. You, you probably know what it's going to look what the rowing is going to look like yeah and if they just hinge more efficiently the rowing would improve yeah but they just yeah. either they don't have the the awareness or they don't they don't care um but if you can improve just simple hinging mechanics there's so many other areas of their of their game that will improve as a result of that right yeah so those first first two things that we would agree with wholeheartedly is mechanics consistency intensity and virtuosity um those are those are definitely, uh, yeah, those are great principles to follow and, but to apply. Um, the next thing would be um, generally, I guess, when we would design testing for individuals, if we're going to design like sports specific testing for people that are competing in CrossFit or fitness, whatever, as generally you're going to use what would be classified as functional movements under CrossFit's definition. You'll be using those, or most likely uh, be using those in the testing itself to try to make the test as valid as possible. Um, so again, just use an example of uh, like one of the tests we, we use often for clients that want to compete in CrossFit is Nate. So 20 minute AMRAP, two ring muscle ups, four handstand pushups, eight kettlebell swings. Uh, one, like, I guess you could change that and make it non-functional movements. Like you could do dumbbell rows and uh, like bench press and like, I don't know, leg curls right yeah. and be like yeah okay I, we got the movements kind of down sort of thing but those movements are not going to be useful in what we're trying to do um, because the functional movements that crossfit does include in their program are generally the best movements to use when designing testing for individuals um yeah and another another interesting point would be um for individuals and like you'd see this more so at the top of the sport right with with people that are very very good um, they generally don't have any movement restrictions or limitations or if they do they're they're not that devastating they're minor but uh, just using the functional movements themselves and just training them can be can be fun can be enough for those people uh, so if they adhere to that and they and they just focus on developing their ability uh, and like mechanic consistency intensity within all the movements in this domain that probably will be an, that might be enough for them to get as good as they're ever going to be it may not be that may not be need to be that complex they could just stick to the count the constant varied functional movements high intensity that might work um, and which again it's also along the same lines is that it's 
which I, I think it's pretty obvious, is the functional movements, again, under Cross's definition, are probably, would we, most people would consider them, they're the most valuable movements to invest your training time into. And again, just an example, uh, if your goal is to make your legs strong, you're, you're much better, you know, you have a, you're, it's better to invest your time into back squats and deadlifts than it is into leg presses and leg curls. Uh, if that's what your goal is, is to make your body strong. <clears throat> the same thing with upper body, if your goal is to be as competent as you can in your upper body or in gymnastics, it makes more sense to work on pull-ups, dips, and pressing variations um, and pulling variations than it does to work on uh, like dumbbell rows and dumbbell presses. It just does. <clears throat> I think even just using the functional movements as a goal, so if someone isn't able to do the classic functional movements very well, then something's wrong, right? At some level, so that they can't hinge properly, they can't squat. Yeah. So we, before we get into the stuff that we disagree with on that, like the goal is to be able to do those movements because they are the best bang for your time invested. And if you're able to do them, something is right. So it's not like you're saying don't do functional movements, obviously. Um, there's just more to it than doing only functional movements as defined by those four principles at the beginning. Okay, so with regards to, um, in this topic, I guess, some things that we would sort of disagree and how they, uh, and again, they, CrossFit, as to how they would recommend or how they would talk about utilization of, of functional movements into a training program. So, we do agree that using functional movements is generally <clears throat> generally the best idea when trying to create um, accurate and valid assessments of work capacity and strength and whatever. Where we would disagree is that I don't believe that you should limit your, limit your um, array of choices of movements to train the human body to just those. So there are plenty of options to, and necessary options to train certain areas or certain movements or certain characteristics that will never be considered functional movements. And one of the movements I example, I, I, one of the examples I gave was a leg curl. There's a time and a place of doing leg curls. There definitely is. Um, I guess one of the best, one of my favorite examples is actually when I did my, uh, when I did my CrossFit level one in 2008 in San Diego. In actually, I think it was June in San Diego. So it was just before 2008 games. And just side story, I showed up and everyone was super like, oh my God, that's that's James Fitzgerald's brother. <laughs> hey, a little humble brag there. So it was super funny. So I guess they were like, it was, it was just funny to be there like that. Anyway, and I was lucky enough to have um, uh, Dave Castro was, what are they What is it called? What's the person who leads it? What do they call it? Flowmaster. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Dave, Dave Castro was the Flowmaster for my weekend. It was great because it was really cool to hear it from him because he was super passionate about what he was talking about. And at the time, uh, I was just like head and shoulders in love with CrossFit. I just loved it. I still love CrossFit, but it's just different. Things change. Um, but either way, he did a fantastic job, and it was quite memorable. Um, and actually, I believe during maybe during the functional movement portion of it, uh, I think I, I'm not. I don't. I don't think Dave was doing that one of those sections, but someone else was. And I asked a question of so, if you do back extensions, 
as part of the, one of the movements, why don't you do GH raises? And, I'll, and if anybody doesn't know what a GH raise is, it's basically a hip hip back extension, but you come all the way up and you flex the, flex the knees. So you basically come up into a kneeling position. Um, it's generally used in training because um, it's a really good exercise for the hamstrings, specifically when it's done with a centric focus. So I just asked that question. Um, and this gets to the real limitation of their um, of their definition is that the answer was that the um, the hamstrings are not not supposed to be used as a hip flexor. They're not meant to be used as a, as a sorry a knee flexor primarily. They're meant to be used for hip extension. But that totally gets around the value of there's a time and a place to train the hamstrings for that exact focus. And one of my reasons was was simply that there's a very obvious lack of that in CrossFit. Was that like, this is something that, I remember just saying, I was like, well, I know my brother uses this on people all the time. Uh, and I know a lot of really good coaches do, like people like Charles Poliquin, and obviously, which they would come to later uh, kind of discuss with like Dave Tate and um, Louis Simmons. They would, they would do that type of stuff. But with regards to fitting that movement, a GH raise into their functional movements, it wasn't allowed. Um, because for whatever reason, right? So that's what we get at, and um, it becomes very limiting, honestly, because it becomes limiting in the movements you can select to include uh, to improve the individual's capability, which is the obvious goal of training, um, and to improve the resiliency. That's the point. That's generally the point of those movements, to make the, make the knees healthy, make the hips healthy, just because there's so much uh, anterior dominance in CrossFit. It's a movement you basically almost everyone should include or some variation of training the hamstrings like that but likely would never be considered a functional movement and therefore would likely not be included in training which I which we would just say is a mistake but that's a simple example of um, the movements the functional movements themselves are a bit too limiting in, um, with regards to movements you would want to select and include in an individual's training program if you have core down there that's a great example of of your going to train your core, not using a functional movement most of the time, yeah. right? Like so, they're mostly variations of holds. Yeah, yeah. Or or I don't know, your GHD sit-ups, mm -hmm. right? Like the, the, those are a functional movement, but somehow, somehow, but say like a, a oh, I don't know, dead bugs aren't. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And it might be that someone needs to do dead bugs to get better at cleans, and not yeah. just more mm -hmm. cleans. <laughs> right. Right. Because again, when you, when you start thinking like this, you're thinking like, um, in the, I'm gonna like speak from their standpoint. You would say that they're overvaluing the large loads thing, long distances mm -hmm. quickly too much. Like they're overvaluing that aspect, and 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 negate and like. At certain points, like they're they're placing that over the fact of the resiliency and health of the athlete, um, where that's that shouldn't that that that's not a way you would make decisions in how to design and optimize an individual's training program. There's just tons of value in learning how to stabilize your trunk and not just close and ex and open your hip yeah. with an an intense amount yeah. of speed, right? Yeah, and like rotational work and like uh, which Tom is fantastic at tom's really good at all forms of like payoff presses and uh band rotations if you just check in tom's instagram stories he'll <laughs> post tons of sick vids of his athleticism 
Um, but yeah, like rotational work like that or anti-rotational work is not something that would ever be included mm -hmm. in, un, unless they've changed their stance on that, right? But um, yeah, because it, it doesn't move large loads long distances quickly. I don't know if it's universal basic income. Um, it might be quarter extremity and it's, it is multi-joint. So it's like, uh, I'm not sure. But that's what, again, we're just getting at the point of it sometimes becomes limiting when you're, when you're overvaluing uh, the functional movements and you're undervaluing the person. Mm -hmm. I think like the original argument to that would be like by doing the functional movements, you're going to address the limitations. But that from experience hasn't always been the case. Yeah. Right? The person that needs to get better at cleans has a <clears throat> problem in their core. Um, they like they don't just need to do more cleans because mm -hmm. you're compounding yeah. the problem in the first place. Most yeah, and I guess while, while we're on the topic, we'll just go over uh, another good example, right? Um, from 2017, and I believe, yeah, they did it again in 2018, was, remember the Fibonacci workout uh, at the CrossFit Games? In 2007, it was the, 2017 was the last workout, and in 2018, I'm pretty sure it was Friday night. Uh, I can't remember what the name of it was. Was it just called Fibonacci? I think so. Anyway, yeah. so, like, that's a good example um, of a, of like, a, it's, a, it's a really cool workout. Um, and one of the really obvious portions of it, if you got like, uh, it's it, it, it looks really easy when the best of the best do it, but if you scale that down and do that workout with like um, probably individuals in the top 100 of their region or even like the top 200 of their region from back in the old open days and had them do the workout. Um, well, what, what is the workout just for so people oh, yeah. so, but I was, don't I was, know? I was getting to that, Scott. <laughs> So one of the most important aspects of it uh, is uh, like, well, they're all important aspects, but a really crucial aspect is to be able to finish the workout, which I, I, I can't remember the exact distance, maybe 100, 100 feet or something around there with double, it's double kettlebell overhead walking lunges to finish the workout. It's a couplet of deadlifts and parallel handstand pushups, and then it's overhead walking lunges with kettlebells to finish. So both arms overhead at once. Men was 24 kg, women 16 kg. So... Um, in watching that, it's, it's, again, with the best people, they make it look real easy and they make it look like it's not a hard thing to do, but it's extremely hard to do that, especially when your arms are already toast from doing whatever, how many handstand pushups they had to do. So if you get someone, if you, if you, if you take the best people out of it and you start getting average people to do it, you'll quickly see a big problem. Um, and they're just not going to be able to hold them over, hold the kettlebells over their head with their arms locked. Um, and perform the lunge movement because it's a very challenging, um, it's a very challenging movement from a mobility standpoint. It very, it very much is, and that's. But that's also why it's a, it's a great movement to be included. It's very challenging for that point of the competition. But the argument being that um, if you're not, if like in order to get better at that movement, is to do that movement. For some people, that absolutely is the way to get better at it. Right, to get better at overhead walking lunges with kettlebells. For some people, they may just need practice and practice will be enough to like, they'll auto-regulate and they'll figure it out and they'll do it, right? They'll just, they'll figure it out. Some people, um, that's not the recipe for them because the limitation isn't just practice. The limitation is structural. And practice may in fact create a problem. Like practicing the movement may be problematic. So then how do you address that with the functional movements? Right, so that's when you have that's when you would start thinking in different ways and go. How do we address this movement limitation with other potential exercises to try to improve the functional movement itself? So, 
And there's an easy argument to be made that you can improve the athlete's ability on the Fibonacci final or Fibonacci. I can't remember. I think it's just called Fibonacci. But either way, we'll move past that um, without ever doing that movement, really. For some people, you can just almost have them not do the movement and just focus solely on improving their positioning. And they might get better at the workout without ever doing the overhead walking lunges because it's just literally easier to hold their arms overhead. And that's it. So that's what, that's, again, that's what we're getting at with regards to there's limitations to this stuff, um, which is fine. It's no one, no, I don't think anyone's expecting it to be perfect. And we're just discussing what we see as limitations. Um, and next part um, with regards to uh, the movements is like, they're not all created equal. So not like investing your time in, in one of these movements uh, will be more valuable than investing your time in other ones. So but then that, that also depends on your level of ability and your advancement in the sport. But, uh, for example, someone at, at like a games level uh, performance, it makes much more time. It makes much more sense for them to spend their time mastering the overhead squat, snatch, and clean and jerk if that's an area of focus for them than it is to waste their time on wall balls, um, which may never show up. Who knows? Might show up, might not show up. But for movements that are generally always going to be limitations and a crux of an event, you need to be really good at overhead squat, snatch, clean, and jerk in CrossFit. You have to be. Just the same as it makes a lot more sense to get really strong on deadlifting and master deadlifting than it does to spend your time on kettlebell swings. Like kettlebell swings are important, but they're not as important as deadlifting is. Um, it makes more sense to be good at lunging for most competitions you're ever going to do than it does to be good at sled pushes. Because sled pushes are can have a lot of value, but they're not generally going to show up that often, mm -hmm. and they're generally they're usually not that important. But lots of sometimes they are in events, right? But but the large and long and short of it is that lunging is probably more likely to show up. Um, same thing with the open, right? It's more important to spend time getting good at rowing than it is to spend time getting good at skier, because and that's the, that's the type of logic I'm using here is that. Not all movements are created equal in terms of their return on how good you're going to get. Um, and what was the example? I think we were using, oh yeah, we're using an example of, of an athlete that maybe starts and uh, like say their, let's say their front squat right now is uh, some female athlete front squat is 185 and their best clean jerk is 165. Uh, and they have a goal of saying, I want to be competitive at a sanctional level. I want to be able to go to a sanctional event and I want to be able to hold my own, do well, or I want to be able to even qualify for one. So if the, the first thing you would go through is like, okay, that 185 front squat is insufficient. Like that needs to go up. Let's just pick a number. We're going to say we want it to go up uh, 40 pounds. So we want it to go to 225. Just the... Uh, that's a that's a big that's a big increase in a front squat but let's just say that's what we're like okay we're shooting for we want to get you there then you start going what movements what functional movements should i invest my time in to get me there like what movements should i do overhead walking lunch <laughs> with kettlebells with kettlebells <laughs> right so if it's like i need my front one squat, overhead one I need my squatting rack. numbers to go up by like 25 percent or so um you're you're going to want to invest your time in those movements because those are the ones that are going to move everything else so if this individual uh, moves their front squat up 40 pounds and let's say the clean jerk comes with it so now they're clean and jerking 205 210 uh, they may not have had to do a wall ball in the last two years and they just became more competent at crossfit 
okay? Like that's the way that works because they went from not being able to compete at a sanctional level, if it's, if it's reasonably heavy at all, to maybe they're pretty confident now. But they, won't, they likely aren't getting there with wall balls and kettlebell swings. They would want a structured program and a layout to progress their squatting capacity and their squatting strength while also trying to improve their snatch and clean and jerk along with it as they progress. So that's a totally different thought process and mind frame of the value of movements um, than I guess what you would normally talk about. It's not even talked about really because there's no real performance assessment that's ever... Uh, I guess while well, we're talking about... I, I, yeah, I guess, I, I, again, I haven't been to a level one in a long time, so yeah. I can't say for sure yeah. that they don't discuss it. Um, from my experience, they, they did not, but again, I could be wrong. But with regards, yeah, with the assessment, so that's... Um, yeah, just when you're, when you're coaching individuals, um, for us, if we're, if we're coaching an individual to be competitive in the sport of CrossFit there has to be a performance assessment that's like first and foremost you, know, you get some information and we talked we talked about that earlier or before but you know there's there's general questions that you need to get out of the way just in terms of lifestyle and how much time they have to train and whatnot daily stressors and and how many days a week they're able to train and whatnot but then the actual performance assessment the actual numbers movement strength work capacity stuff. yeah yeah exactly that has to be addressed and you have to get those those numbers on paper so you have a starting port or, or sorry, a starting point mm-hmm. and a place to to progress from, right? And if you like you just alluded to, if you don't have that, then wh- where do you start and where do you go from, yeah. right? I guess like a counter argument to that would be, well, you have to work on your weaknesses, right? So that's that's a that's a very that's a catchy way of saying it. it's like, well, but then we're getting into constantly varied again. I know. Um, that's but that's that's where we get the problem, right? So we discussed this kind of in our in, um, before the podcast is that. All this stuff has to live within constantly varied functional movements, high intensity. It all has to live together. It doesn't get to live separately. It has to live together. Uh, And that means that what we just discussed will violate certain things because we're controlling intensity. We're pushing it up and down as we see fit and trying to manage regulation of the individual's performance and the recovery. We're We're selecting which movements we think are valuable. It doesn't matter if they're functional or not. Um, we're selecting them based on the individual, their needs, and their performance assessment. Um, yeah, and it's and like based on what we discussed, it's not that that discussion is not constantly varied. It's controlled variance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the last, I guess, another important point just to um, just to discuss is like you just pick a single movement, and it and I get like we we do we do agree with this, and that mechanics consistency intensity. Is, is 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 like it's fantastic it's really good that's just a really good thing to preach to people um, however it's more important that it's done in practice it's one thing I'm very fond of saying to uh, to people when they talk about training and they talk about how training is and these principles whatever I don't really care what people talk about I honestly don't I like to see what they write down I want to see what they write down for training and how they're going to progress a person and how they're going to lay out their in, lay out their training, and how they're going to basically put their principles in action, because talking is simple, but I want to see how it's actually going to work. Um, and from what I generally see, and again, could be wrong, um, but from what I generally see, mechanics consistency intensity is not actually done. I don't think that's really a, a shocker to a lot of people, but um, 
It be, but I think it's mostly because it's so easy to just not do it because it's more fun to not do it. It's way more fun to just go, okay, I can't do, I can't really do pistols that well. I'm a little off balance, so I'm going to do band-assisted pistols during my 20-minute AMRAP. Like, well, no. Like, what we would want you to do is we want you to regress backwards from pistols and go, have you ever done lunging or step-ups before? They're like, yeah, a little bit. Well, like, let's just go through some lunges and let's see what you look like. Oh, and it turns out, like, yeah, you're okay with no weight. Um, so maybe we're going to do lunges instead of pistols today because that's a more appropriate thing for what you're doing. But we're, we're honestly not even going towards pistols because your, your single leg capacity uh, in just lunging is quite poor. And that's far, that's far uh, inferior to pistols. So we're going to work here and build up to that and work into this thing. So in terms of progression, um, I think that's, that's one area that could be improved in how they discuss functional movements and how you, how you progress people into them and how you progress the movements themselves, potentially. What do you think? I think that's also kind of one of the drawbacks of being in that class environment is you see some people doing some things when you shouldn't be doing that. And you're kind of like, I don't want to do this thing that I, the coach has determined that would be better for me when that other person's pounding out power cleans and muscle ups, right? Where it's like you have to dial everything back for a long period of time before starting there, right? I mean, I don't know if there's to, to be dialed back when everyone else is doing fun stuff. That's not, that's not a great environment to be in, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Whereas if you're outside of that environment and you're only focusing on yourself, you can focus on the things that you need to do to get better at. But I don't know if that falls into functional and movements. again, not to sound like we're standing on like the altar here. Um, like I, I say, I make those examples because I see it happen here as well. Like we go, okay, well, that was too fast of an advancement for that person. Mm -hmm. We should have slowed it down and we shouldn't have pushed them into this movement so quickly. And that's our fault, yeah. right? Or my fault specifically with that movement. So I'm not trying to suggest that I don't ever do this. I'm saying this because I see it in other places and I see it in myself. And that's a common, it, it, because it's very easy to do. Patience is challenging. Patience is hard to make sure you wait and progress people into these movements properly. Um, but you you always want to, most people, most most clients that are, are, that are like motivated, they want to ride the line on that. They okay. want to push it. How fast can we advance this safely? Mm -hmm. Like how fast can we advance this safely? And every now and then they're going to get on the wrong side of that line. Uh, that's guess that's probably both of our faults. Mm -hmm. But that's when you use the feedback to learn that, right? Instead of just leaving it out there as as everyone then, do this. Then you're getting then then we're way beside it because we're already we're already talking about coach client relationships and individual training, and that's a total side uh, from what what T functional movements is. Tom, write that down. Okay. Good. That's another podcast yeah, another episode. Yep. To us, another obvious. Uh, counter argument from our standpoint based on what we do day to day and week to week with clients is the use of tempos and cadence with movements uh, so for example if a workout comes up on crossfit.com and it says uh, front squat 55555 um, generally you're not going to see something that says front squat at 22x1 55555 uh, five, 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 three minute rest 
Um, so the 2-2-X one, just that simple concept, uh, is you're trying, like with that alone, all you're trying to do is you're trying to give information to the athlete as to what you're asking them to do. And it's for a particular reason. And it could change up. It could There might not be a tempo for that day or for this phase of training, whatever you're going through. Uh, and it doesn't need to be a front squat. It could be the other movements. Um, but the reason you use tempos is you're trying to control certain aspects and certain variables of the movements. Uh, and you're trying to talk to the client through that language of tempo. You're trying to tell them what to do and give them instruction without actually having to tell them verbally. Uh, and if you don't write tempos, you can tell the clients verbally and you just tell them. Like, I want you to go down real slow, I want you to pause for two seconds, come up quick and then take a breath, go back down. That really is 2-2-X-1. But if you're, if you're not gonna be able to be there and tell the person at the right time, a very convenient way of doing that is writing that type of terminology. And I would say with, with the main movements like deadlift, front squat, it's, it's good to use and it has definitely lots of value. More so where I find myself using it is with uh, the more, I guess you would call them assistance work and assistance movements, like with uh, the, like the horizontal pulling motions, horizontal pull, push, pushing motions, stuff with dumbbells uh, that are basically bodybuilding type stuff, variations on leg work, um, that, that like tempos are, like there's a specific purpose to them and they're, the, the tempo itself changes it a lot. The example given prior of like a GH raise, like when you do that movement, you're generally not doing it for time. And when I say generally, I mean never, um, because that's not the point. Like there's there's no point in doing that. Um, generally, you're going to use uh, a tempo, and there's a big difference between having someone go down quickly and having someone take four to five, six seconds to go down. There's a that totally changes what you're asking of the movement. Uh, and that's just one example. And you can do this with lots of movements. Um, and again, another another simple example, let's say someone needs to, they wanna improve their, their overhead pressing. Um, and you're like, okay, so we've tried lots of stuff, doesn't seem to be working. We might start, we might start playing with like really heavy negatives. Okay, so we're gonna do push presses with a slow negative. So we're gonna do push presses at four, one, X, one. So it means they're going to push it over their head, and then they're going to slowly control the lowering. Brutal. And they're going to do it over and over and over. So it's a very, very intensive load to over, um, to, to just a simple way to overload the pressing, uh, pressing muscles. In generally a not too intensive fashion. Um, and that's in the, again, that's just a really simple way to communicate with the person, and they know exactly what you're doing. Well, that's using tempo is. The tool that you can use to follow that MCI, the mechanics, the consistency, then the intensity to develop virtuosity. So if you're enforcing a position in the bottom of a squat that they have to hold with even 45 pounds in a front squat, right, you're enforcing the mechanics first, Mm -hmm. right, and then you progress the load for consistency and intensity. So tempo is the tool that you'd use in those movements, like you can't necessarily use tempo in a wad because it doesn't fit because you're missing the point of it but i've done it (laughs) (laughs) those are different days man very different days but that's the tool that you use for mci tempo yeah it's like it's a very simple change it's very subtle but once you as a coach if you're used to using it and you know why you're doing it and you know how to write it um it's just a very a very elegant way of getting a, getting across what you're trying to get someone to do 
without having to tell them what to do. You'd see it in the constituent sports of CrossFit too, like weightlifting and gymnastics. You would see Mm -hmm. tempo written, Mm -hmm. but not in CrossFit. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you like us, don't forget to leave us a review wherever you listen and tell some friends. This is how new people can find out about us. Make sure you follow the Instagram for updates on upcoming episodes at Spiral Out Podcast. We don't have any formal plans for topics that we're going to cover on this show, but if there's any topics that you guys want to hear more about or something that we haven't covered yet, make sure you send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us a message on Instagram. I can't promise that we will cover every topic, but we will definitely read all of the messages. And last but not least, for anyone looking for coaching, make sure you head over to OptimumPerformanceCalgary.com. I will include that link in the show notes. If you live here in Calgary, we offer personal training as well as individual design. For those that live far, we also have remote coaching available. If you're interested in attending a fitness camp or possibly hosting one at your facility, you can also find information about those there. We do not plan to cover any of the topics that are covered in the fitness camp to make sure that those stay unique. Thank you for listening. Until next time.